Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross-Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra-high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarind Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. In this episode of the Tamron Learning Podcast, I welcome Catherine McCarthy. She is an independent advisor to families and family offices, and we discuss the state of affairs in the family office industry today and the greatest hurdles facing them. Welcome to the Tamron Learning Podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have Catherine McCarthy with me, who is one of the family office and family enterprise and wealth management leaders for more than three decades. I know she's much, much younger and glowing than you would never believe that. But she has literally been a luminary in our space and is someone I dearly adore, respect. Um, and I'm so thrilled that she's here with us today because Catherine's sat on many sides of the boardroom table um, for her clients. Uh, she sits on publicly traded boards. She's sat on wealth management boards. And so she's really had a catbird seat into some critical family office um, and wealth management arenas. So we are thrilled to have you here today, Catherine. And and Catherine was also incredibly instrumental in the second edition of the Complete Family Office Handbook as she was a a sage and counseled and helped edit and helped um, bring some incredible resources to make that book so, so much better. So I am very indebted to her on so many levels. So Catherine, I am excited to talk to you a little bit more today about the state of the family office. Um, Maybe you can share your thoughts on what you think some of the greatest hurdles facing family offices today. Well, thank you, Kirby, and, and, and congratulations on the birth of the second edition of the family office handbook. And I was privileged to be working with you on that. And I'm sure it'll be a wild success at many levels. Um, You know, it's interesting. There there are a lot of hurdles that's specific to to a specific family office. So when you asked the question, I thought, well, maybe the best answer would be a generic answer. And so I think that the biggest hurdle to family offices in general is the reluctance to change, or as I would say, short-term thinking. Family offices tend to be reactionary, they tend to be in the moment, but they need to look forward and they need to anticipate changes in the offices and changes in the family. Now, this is complicated by the fact that the families themselves, as I've said to you many times, you can't take family out of family office, the families themselves are probably even more reluctant to change. So I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a quote from a, it was actually from a book review of a, a reviewer at the New York Times many years ago. I don't even remember what the book was. It was about a family situation. But the quote, but what I remember about the review is this quote. And the quote is, families are characterized by relentless inertia in the face of constant change. And that stuck with me. And it also informed me in, when I'm dealing with families because I expect inertia and I expect change. And also then I expect the family offices 
to be subject to that environment. But planning for the future is a key challenge in every generation, and it's going to affect everything you do in a family office, assuming that you want it to last for more than one generation. That's really why I was so pleased in the second edition of, of your book that you devoted time to planning and particularly to the Matil family's case in the second chapter. Um, you know, that case showed that over 20 years in really distinct strategic planning cycles, the family went from first generation to third generation and they embraced change. They embraced change in leadership. They embraced change in services. They embraced a change in the generational focus of the family office in a purposeful way. And you don't, it, it, it's very hard. I give, I give them a lot of credit for, for um, planning out their office that way and still at the same time sticking to their day-to-day -day knitting. As a, as a former CEO of a family office, another hurdle is alignment particularly if the family itself is larger, multi-generational, and, can, and can't get aligned around the purpose and the value of the family office. So alignment is a huge challenge. It's alignment within the family. It's al alignment with the family office. Um, and many times in these situations, where, when there's no alignment in the family, and by default, there's not a good alignment with the family office, the family office becomes stagnant. They become disengaged from the family and their issues because they're siloed away, and they're not viewed as a resource, let alone a, a strategic resource. The family can't, family office cannot function effectively without a consensus on the why of the family office, and then the what, the who, and the how follows. Um, that's, so I go back to your book and the God, the God, I think it was Godspeed uh, case in chapter three, and that's a really good example of the what I call the ossification of a family office, basically neglected, even though there was a family member there. Uh, the family just didn't really care about the office. They had no interest in the office. They had no interest in the family office's future. Luckily, they were able to come to con some consensus really about closing the office because they didn't really care about it, and then move on. So I think to sum up, the, the biggest hurdles that family office face today are and today and always are this reluctance to change and the difficulty of alignment both with the within the family and um, stakeholders and with the office and in particular in a multi-generational setting which is what you find yourself in in a family office very quickly even if you have a even if it's just a one generational office i think talking about the value of the office among the people in the office and with the family is really important and talking about the long-term purpose of the office. And those are two topics that don't get discussed much. They just kind of loom. Um, you hear a lot today about resilience and relevance. A family office that's not resilient and, it's not, and it lacks relevance is not a healthy environment. But those offices who plan uh, in the long-term, I think will be more resilient because it comes from the planning process. They develop this resiliency memory um, mm -hmm. and those who are aligned um, with their purpose particularly the purpose of the family office are kind of well on their way to being relevant because purpose will allow them to discuss what's important to them and it's important what's important for the current generation and then what's important for future generations so so relevance and resilience can be enhanced by alignment 
conversations and by planning. And if you have relevance and resilience, you've got a healthy office. Um, I can't not mention COVID and how it's affected family offices. <laughs> I was going to ask you, so I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> um, well, you said just keep going, so I will. Um, interestingly, COVID has brought out a willingness to change. It may be temporary. It may be a willingness to talk about alignment a little bit. But we have people working from home. We have awareness of cyber risks and other risks that were just kind of put under the table from, you know, they were not going to do that. We have new technology and new ways of communicating. And in particular, we have awareness of the needs of the staff. Kind of mm -hmm. what's the staff psychological moment? Mm -hmm. um, and that's led to really a greater effort on preparedness, which you've got to plan to be prepared, and scenario planning. Yeah. So I see a little bit of a shift there. Um, and uh, maybe we'll see more. So, well, I was gonna ask about your thoughts on the pandemic because I mean, it really has become an introspective time yeah. for so many. Um, yeah. And it can be healthy, it can also be very isolationist and scary. Um, and I would imagine that it's impacting your clients and the family offices you know um, on so many different levels as they like maybe reevaluate their investment process or they're looking yeah. at risk controls they're looking at um you know redundancies because so many yeah. family offices don't have a lot of redundancies necessarily and now you're realizing boy maybe we have you know more exposure i'm just curious um what other kinds of changes covid I love the idea that maybe it's bringing people to the table virtually, right? Yeah. If they're not able to be together, but what is it doing? What has it um, inspired or in some of the families that you work with and what changes are you seeing? Well, it, um, the fa the families have, the, well, it, I don't know whether this is a, a good thing or a bad thing, but people can't hide from meetings. They, it's really hard to say, oh, I, I'm on an airplane. I can't be on the Zoom call. So yes. I'm seeing, seeing this opening of conversation and more contact. The other thing that I've been working with one family where we're, we're trying to help them reestablish a family office. And one of the things that I've seen is the willingness to have short meetings and then debrief and let people think and contemplate because there is a little more time. So at the family level, there's this, this feeling of wanting to you know, they can't be together physically mostly they uh, there's this feeling of well maybe we should take this time and use it well that's on the positive side uh, on the negative side i haven't seen a whole lot of negatives other than in situations where you need a lot of sidebars to get things done you can't sidebar that easily you can't sort of press the button and say sorry i gotta go talk to uncle joe because i need a special room on this i need a special zoom room so and maybe that's the reason why lots of Lots of interaction through these shorter, more punchy, more agenda-driven conversations uh, are, are really getting things done. And I'm actually seeing people get things done. Um, yeah. As I mentioned, people are thinking more about succession planning. The mortality is certainly something that's at the higher level. Preparedness, yeah. as I said before, is really at the higher level. Documentation. I had a, I had a family office a family member who realized that he couldn't just run into somebody's office and get information. He had them do a whole map of how things were done in the office and yeah. or now outside of the office. 
So there's been some very positive um, experiences through COVID and knock on wood, I haven't seen anybody in an office get sick terminally, which yeah. is probably the most positive outcome uh, yeah. of any. Uh, um, for sure, for sure. I was also wondering with um, sort of this transition, if there maybe are some different opportunities in terms of change. I mean, you've identified some hurdles that people have been able to address and actually start to communicate on because they've sort of found time. Um, uh -huh. I do think the you talk a lot about in the handbook about virtual family offices and whether this might actually trigger more offices to think we just can operate virtually. Like we don't need to have the same physical presence yeah. that yeah. we used to have. So I'm curious what you think about the, what will happen post pandemic. I'm already looking forward to those days. Um, <laughs> You know, because I really think this time is forever changing how we operate. Yeah, well, it, um, I've had a couple of really interesting surprises. Um, senior family members, you know, in their 70s saying, we should go virtual. I was like, whoa. And these are the sort of the, the um, guys that kept everybody in the office. Nothing, everything was locked at your desk. Very suspicious of the cloud. Uh, now, now they're they're starting to embrace this idea that that you know even though they everything was in the cloud they just didn't want to acknowledge it um, that there could be ways to work virtually and I actually have one patriarch who could barely find his computer uh, he's now I, I have monthly sometimes quarterly calls depending on his schedule with him and he was really excited on the last call. He said, I'm going to set up the Zoom meeting next time. You don't have to do it. And it's like, really? Um, and now he's got, a, he's got an office in Midtown. The lease is up. Lovely office. Lease is up in another year. And he's basically saying, do we really need this? Yeah. Now, I think well, he doesn't fit in the WeWorks category. <laughs> so that's not an option. But I think what he'll do is actually downsize the office. Which, which he's at a stage where he doesn't need the, the big office anyway. Um, and he's got five people working for him and they're all communicating pretty well. So he's really, um, he's really thinking about changing and going to a quasi virtual office. We'll see. Um, yeah. I'll miss it because I love going to see him in his office. But as long as, it, you know, as long as he can work on Zoom, it's fine. Um, yeah. I think board boards, family office boards are really now under the spotlight. Mm. Um, I have been on numbers of boards where we have quarterly meetings and we have a dinner before, the traditional dinner before, quarterly meeting, and then maybe an interim meeting on, on a conference call. Uh, it involves getting on airplanes, it involves weather, it involves in some instances, your, you know, overseas travel for me. Yeah. that's going to change dramatically uh I've, we are finding that we can be just as effective we don't need as many we don't need to be together four times a year and and the times we're together will be mu will be good much more quality time yeah. and that going forward i think the board management is going to be totally turned on its ear um yeah if, you know i i think as long as we can have some contact with each other we'll be fine yeah um when I think about the way investment committees are, are operating today, uh, I don't see any panic. That's good. 
Um, I see some downsides in you know talking to managers. Um, it, you really need to get in their offices to get that feel. Yeah, and they're they're smart about their pitches. So on on that side, that's kind of a negative for the investment committees. But yeah. I've had many more Zoom calls between committee meetings. Um, just you know, just tweaking the asset allocation. I mean, when we think about investment process, it's pretty much the same. Nothing has really changed. It's it's um, it's more education to families and about expected returns and what should they expect going forward in the future. And mm -hmm. it's not this balanced portfolio, moderate risk, five, uh, you know, six to eight percent returns annually. It's take it down a notch yes and that those conversations have been have been really um difficult they've been actually difficult on zoom these ex anything about expectations particularly investment expectations the other thing that um looking into the future we've we've talked a lot to family members because expected returns are lower about spending policies distribution policies and that's been kind of hard in the COVID environment again because it's so personal. But I've had yeah. a few meetings, and you know, people have, have resolved. Uh, they they want to you know they want to stick to their budgets, um, particularly on the family side. On the philanthropy side, lots of people are spending way beyond their budgets, their annual budgets, just because they have to, they want to yeah. uh, address COVID. So I, I um um. I hope that answers your questions, kind of what's rattling around in, in my head about the future um, and how we're dealing today with what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, Catherine McCarthy is, again, has was so, so helpful. Um, the Matilda family was really gracious to share their story. Um, another anonymized case study she helped um, garner. So we are really lucky to have you talking here today on this Tamron Learning Podcast. And I look forward to our next time we get to see each other. Probably it might be Zoom, but, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe one of these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Kirby. It's been a pleasure. And again, congratulations on the book. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay.